For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome back to the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. The show where we apparently throw out words and we don't know what we're talking about. Thanks for tuning in, folks, as we are here to talk about the Edge class. Another group, an exciting group with some interesting names at the top, some perplexing questions that we have to answer. That is the goal of today's show is there's a number of players who have high ceilings but have not gotten anywhere near where they need to reach. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Ryan Roberts and Alex Gilstrap. Before we get to that, though, folks, I just want to talk to you very briefly about Bet Online. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place that you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag. And heck, guys, right now, the MLB is getting really close. Spring training is getting going right now. Put some money down on some futures. If you have a, you know, an inkling that maybe the Mets are going to be a surprise team this year, put some money down on an MLB futures bet. 10, 15 bucks, and you could be getting a big payout off of it just because you had a hunch and you thought that it was going to happen. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Bet Online has hundreds of props with real time odds on almost anything that you can imagine. And of course, their 24 hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So guys, I want to get into the overview of this class like we usually do. We've done a number of shows already. If you've missed those and you want to hear our thoughts on the various position groups, make sure you go check those out. But this edge class is really, really interesting because it's populated with a, a number of guys who were five-star recruits, four-star recruits, switched positions, have done some crazy things, but really have not come anywhere close to what they could possibly become in the NFL. So Ryan, heading to you first, how would you describe this position group, this class as a whole? I think there's a lot of role players. I think the depth is pretty outstanding, but I've been, you know, very vocal in this. I don't think it's a great class. Like some people try to act like it is. I really don't. I don't think that the top's very strong. I think there's guys that are littered throughout that in the second through seventh rounds even you can get excited about because there are traits to work with, but I am missing it with this group a bunch. I don't see many high volume sack guys. I don't see any really, I don't want to say transcendent, but I don't see guys that will assume a large role anytime early on in their career. There's a bunch of moldable pieces, but for me, it's more about depth and top end talent in this class. There's just an absence up top in my opinion. Yeah, we're definitely missing that Nick Bosa, that you know Chase Young that we had last year, who we just look at and know is going to be an all-pro uh, caliber player as soon as he steps foot in the NFL. But I, I, I think the strength of this class is that day two range, that early day two range. I think there's probably seven or eight names 
uh, that are going to push for top 50 uh, that I think are going to be taken in that range that are going to be uh, it's going to be an edge heavy uh, top of the second round into the first round. I think after that, I'm not as high on the depth. I think there's some guys, there's some guys at the the back half of the draft that have some traits or have some things to work on. But I'm, I, you know, there's just there's just an absence of just excitement that I love to have in the edge class. Typically, I just I don't get too excited about this class overall. Right, it's one of those position groups where it's like quarterback. It's the reverse position of quarterback is the way that I always like to look at it because. It's the guy chasing after him. It's always contract wise, you're going to pay a good edge rusher a lot of money. Khalil Mack, example A, how much money he was tra- uh, he was paid and the amount of picks that he was traded for. It does. It kind of sucks that we don't have a big name like that, a fun consensus name like a Nick Bosa, as you said. But still, there's some interesting guys in here that could end up being pretty big hits for their teams and being key contributors. Key contributors on their roster. And I'd like to now shift our focus to talking about our guys. So guys that you're going to stand on the table for, guys that you feel are your favorites in this edge class. Ryan, you've got two. Of course, you guys always find ways to bend the rules here. But Ryan, who are your two guys? And like we were talking before the show, I I agree. I like both of these. Alex likes uh, one of them. Let's hear who you got. So Joe wrote down the guidelines for this for this one here, right? So the guys, he said one to two guys. You did. Oh, you you're right. Back up. You're right. I forgot that. I see. I made the outline so long yeah. ago, and we've only been doing one each. I completely forgot. So Put that's on blast. me, folks. Put me all blast. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, it's okay. I'm surprised Alex didn't put in four just to break that two person hey, rule. Now, right? I might but. next week. He would yeah. put his whole position group rankings if he could. <laughs> Let's just do top really fives. Could. Let's just rip it off. Let's just do it, man. Top five, my guys. I love it. That's a, it's a good good conversation for next week, I think. Um, a couple guys, though, that I really wanted to highlight. I wanted to highlight a couple different body types, a couple different position flexibility guys. So we're talking, when we're talking edge defender, we're talking 4-3 defensive end. We're talking 4-3 outside linebacker that's a rush backer. So for me... The first guy is that traditional 4-3 defensive end, hand in the dirt. Jalen Phillips from Miami. That was a transfer from UCLA, which I know, you know, we were joking around before the show. There was a funny tweet yesterday from Owen Reese that went out that was just basically saying, like, wow, everyone found Jalen Phillips. Who would have ever thought that Jalen Phillips was a thing? <laughs> the number one high and school player in the class. <laughs> number one high school player in the class, 6'5", 265, uh, apparently going to run in the 4'4s or 4'5s, according to Brevin Jordan. So, like, absolute freak. And when he went to UCLA, I mean, you saw flashes of it at UCLA for his first couple of years. And then, of course, he had recurring issues with concussions, which led his retirement at the time. He retired from football. Then he made the decision to come back, transfer to Miami, with Gregory Rousseau opting out of the season, Jalen Phillips, I mean, going into here, you were like, wow, Quincy Roche and Greg Rousseau, and then maybe Jalen Phillips can give you something. Well, Jalen Phillips assumed the Gregory Rousseau role, wore the same number, number 15, that Gregory Rousseau wore the, the year before, and he had in se- exceptional film this year. Like, let's be honest with it. If he, in a vacuum, if he at 6'5", 265, and running the way he does, and being the athlete that he is, and the production he had this year, if he did not have any health concerns and any other concerns about, hey, how much does he love football, this is probably the top pass rusher off the board, in my opinion. I think this is a top 15 player in this class. That's what the talent would tell you that he is worth. Unfortunately, 
he has those question marks. So for me, I'm going to say he's my guy because I love the film. I love the athleticism. I feel like someone's going to get a tremendous value of him probably more in the late first round conversation just because there's so much uncertainty off the, off, um, off the field, both with injuries and then you know, his just his love for the game. How much does he love it? I know he was dealing with a lot, but at the end of the day, he still did technically retire and, and quit the game. So there's going to have to be some things that you work out. I think NFL teams, especially in the late first round where you can afford to do this as good teams, are going to say, I can afford to take a gamble here with the type of talent that he has. So that's one guy, traditional 4-3 defensive end. And the last guy I think fits more into the 3-4 mold as a uh, walked-up rush backer, uh, on-ball guy, Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma. Another guy that you're going to have to get comfortable with off the field because he was a guy last year before the playoff game um, against uh, against um, I almost said Ohio State against LSU. He got him, and it was uh, Ramondre Steven, uh, Stevenson, the running back. They both failed a drug test, and they missed. I think the, I think he missed the first five games of this year on top of the playoff game last year. So there's a lot to to just get down to off the field. Understand when he's on the field, though. My guy's violence, super strong hands, powerful, has that speed to power profile. Has some bend to it. So there's a lot that I like with Ronnie Perkins. You, uh, Another guy, him and Phillips are guys that you need to get comfortable with off the field. But from a talent perspective, everything is there for him. I think that he's a second-round player just based on film. We'll see if he gets docked a little bit working through some of the uh, some of the character stuff. Or I don't even want to call it character because I don't know anything about the kid's character. Just with the off-the-field concerns. So I, he's a player, though, for me, odd front team. As that rush backer, I think there's a lot of talent there for Ronnie Perkins. Yeah, Ronnie Perkins definitely had some good film put out uh, this year once he once he did get on the field. I, I like that one. I think there is more conversation to be had about Jalen Phillips. I put out a tweet a few days ago talking about his his health concerns and how I don't think you can take that gamble in the first round. And I will stand by this. Uh, Jalen Phillips is someone I brought up before the season even started. He has barely played in his collegiate career, but that is someone that when you do see glimpses of him coming into 2020, you saw it. And if he could stay healthy, this guy is one of the best defensive ends in the country. And I talked about this on a podcast uh, preseason. But you can't ignore Jalen Phillips is, like Ryan said, I agree. I think Jalen Phillips is the best defensive end in this class. I think from just an on the field perspective, I can't take him in the first round. I I I see. We, I can I can kind of get on board if you're one of those, you know, fringe Super Bowl teams, or you are a Super Bowl team like the Kansas City Chiefs or something that want to take a gamble late because you can because if it doesn't work out, you're fine. Baltimore Ravens, Baltimore that's my team. Dude. Well, they're, that's they're, yeah, it. that's oh man. You know, you get one of those playoff teams. I can I can get by it, but you're telling me you are going to spend that first round draft capital on a player that. He was told to retire from football, and he did. Yes, he came back. He had to revitalize his body. His body went from like 220 pounds, I think it was, to 10. Like he lost a ton of weight once he retired. Put it all back on. Worked really, really hard to get back to where he is, and put on some of the best film in 2020 that you that we've seen. And and again, he is the best defensive end in this class. But the medicals, he is one concussion away from being out. And is that worthy of a top 25, top 30 pick in the draft? That's what concerns me. It's the NFL. It's a violent game. You play a position where there's contact on every single play. And I am I'm worried that one concussion puts him out. He's he he 
you know, the, the way the NFL handles concussions, CTE, and everything, you know, concerning head injuries and head trauma nowadays with these players and trying to protect them, I don't think that the NFL will allow him to play if he has one more concussion. And, and, a, and a, in a sport where every single play you are making contact oftentimes with the head in some capacity, I don't know if I think the opportunity cost of taking a I'm not going to say Ronnie Perkins in the first round, but taking an Aziz Ojolari in that that Baltimore range, or taking a a uh, Joseph Osai or someone else in that range, a Jason Owa even from Penn State, someone else just to mention. I think you are safer taking someone that yes, their film is not quite as good as Jalen Phillips's. He's not quite the player Jalen Phillips is. But I don't have any concerns regarding the health that you do with Jalen Phillips. Like I said, Jalen Phillips is one concussion away from, I think, having to medically retire from the sport of football for good this time. And I just don't know if that's worth the first round pick. And I hate to say that because I love Jalen Phillips, the player. Like I said, talked about him the preseason as someone that could potentially uh, blow up if he could stay healthy. Obviously, it got all the way up to like this guy's a top 20, 25 player in the class and Though I agree from an on-the-field perspective, there's just the there's there's question marks off the field, and then there is alarming red flags. And this is more of an alarming red flag more than just question marks. You talk about Ronnie Perkins and that suspension off the field. You and you talk about some of these injuries, uh, injury red flags that you see from people. And it's it's even if it's a ACL, people come back from ACLs. It's it's definitely not as prevalent, you know, not as big of an issue as it was just 10 years ago, but Concussions is something that is still just, especially to the extent that Jalen Phillips had him, concussions is such a problem. And when he was already once retired from the sport of football because of his immense head injuries, I just, I, I don't know. It's it's a risk. It, he Like I said, he's the best player at the position. I, I would agree with that. I'm glad Brian, uh, Ryan brought that up because he is. I just don't know. I think there are enough players that are close from an on-the-field perspective, that you don't take that risk in the first round myself. One thing I'll note here, uh, you know, because I don't want to go – I mean, because, you know, we're speculating to a degree. I agree, Alex. There's obviously a lot of things to digest with it. This is why, although the NFL scouting combine is not having testing this year, that guys are still going to Indianapolis right. and getting their medicals, right? So for people that aren't aware of that, they are still going to be there. And they are still going to get those medical checkups because for guys like Ronnie um, – not Ronnie Perkins, but like – a Jalen Phillips, and a couple others. Uh, Dalen Hayes is another one that Joe and I had on Locked on Irish who has recurring issues with his shoulders. Obviously, that's a much different conversation. But for any player that has these medical checkups, these rechecks, it's very important. And that's kind of the other layer to the evaluation that we don't talk about as much, right? Like we're talking mostly about the on the field. But there are, hey, what do the medicals look like? What type of person is he? talking to him face-to-face, the character of a player. So there's multiple layers to this evaluation process, and I just wanted to mention that there is still going to be those medical checkups in Indianapolis that are going to be very important still. So we don't reside too much on this so we can get to the other topics here. Alex, who is your guy? Because you spent a lot of time talking about Ryan's guys. I want to hear about your guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my guy here is uh, Victor Dumakiji from Duke. Uh, everyone coming into the season talked about Chris Rumpf as the the edge rusher to watch. Very undersized. Uh, but Victor Dumakiji, I believe I'm saying that correctly, is someone that really, really impressed me. I think he's got a very, very dense frame. He appears shorter than he is on the field than he's listed at. 
but he's a thick build. He's super explosive off the line. That's the first thing that I noticed. Uh, and with a squatty frame like he has, he he carries a lot of power. He packs a punch when he when he gets to the point of attack uh, with offensive tackles. And I think he's just a great blend of explosiveness, motor, strength, power. And he he's got some he's got some fun pass rush moves in his arsenal as well. I saw him throw a spin out a couple times. So I, I really really like uh, Demakiji's film. He's someone that really surprised me as. Uh, as someone that kind of, and Ryan Ryan brought up the perfect comp, Brandon Graham from the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's that's from a body composition to a to a motor to you know just a play style. This is this is picture perfect Brandon Graham, and I look this is a day two player for me, and I don't think enough people are talking about him. So I'm a, I'm excited here for getting into who the number one guys in this class are because we actually have some we have some discourse, and it's not like we don't normally have discourse. I'm not saying it like that, but. This class and the way that this class is shaped, you can have vastly different rankings, and that's the one of the thing. One of the things that we have on the show is that we're you guys are typically not agreeing when it comes to certain guys on certain spots in your ranking. So, Ryan, who is your number one guy? And then I got to hear from the, the the biased fan over here on who his number one guy is. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, I, I don't want to. Uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil who Alex's number one guy is. Yeah. I will just say it was a close conversation for me. And his player that he's going to bring up was the other guy in the conversation. And they both play very different roles, very different positions. Again, we're lumping two different positions into one. We're, we're lumping yeah. four through defensive ends, three, four outside linebackers. So there's it's not going to be an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but I will say Gregory Rousseau, for me, Alex knows that I was higher on him in the summer. Joe knows that I was higher on him than Alex in the summer. I am still very impressed and still very – hopeful for what Gregory Russo can do at the next level. Cause again, a good friend of the show, by the way, Gregory Russo, six, six plus rumored to be at 270 plus pounds. Now after playing last year at about 245, did not play in the 2020 season after having 15 and a half sacks the year before. Very, very impressive looking athlete who was mostly a safety and wide receiver in high school. And has just kind of grown into this body and this frame that he has which is a lot of fun to watch. Is he there yet on an on-field perspective if you're just looking at the 2019 film? Absolutely not. He's not there yet. But when you look at him and you're talking about the projectability, it's a shame that he didn't play in 2020 because I feel like he would have answered a few of the question marks on him. But when you look at the size, the athletic profile, the linear explosiveness, and now, in my opinion, I mean, he was playing inside on obvious pass rushing down to 245 pounds. Let's now imagine him at 270 pounds against guards in, in centers on obvious and sub-package situations. Like for me, this kid is the ultimate chess piece. And so is he a, a perfect fit as a 4-3 defensive end on every single snap? Maybe not. He's a power converter. He's got his length. That's what his big selling points are. But what he is, is he's a tremendous edge setter who can still win one-on-one outside, but when you move him inside now, that's maximizing the type of player he is. When I talk to him, the person that he mentioned about, a person that he models his game after, is Calais Campbell. So for me, is he heading towards that 290-pound frame? Because he can do it. His body frame is, I mean, I saw a picture of him the other day where he's 270. It looks, I mean, he looks bigger. But I'm still like, that dude could put on another 20, 30 pounds. Like, there's no problem there. 
So now we're talking about, is Calais Campbell the greatest um, greatest outside track rusher of all time? Absolutely not. But what Calais Campbell was, was he is rock solid in the run game every single snap. And then he's a guy that you can move all over the defensive line. For me, Gregor Russo has that trajectory. And I still think, although he might not be at his peak in the next year or two, I think he's going to have some production the first couple years just because that length and that athleticism are enough to accumulate some sacks. And I think he is our best bet in this class to be that high-volume sack guy. Outside of Jalen Phillips, if he tests, if he checks out, for me, Greg Russo is the ultimate weapon where he can play anywhere on the defensive line. You talk about Greg Russo gaining weight. You think if he gets up to like 290, 295, which I, I agree with his frame, I think he can add that. Yep. You think he could be the, one of the best interior playmakers in the game? I think he could. I think he could. Yeah. I think he wow. could. No, I do. I really do. I think I, I'm not sold. In let me start with my guy is Aziz Ojolari from Georgia, <laughs> and like Ryan alluded to at the beginning of his sentiment there about Greg Rousseau, these two players came in with the exact same grade for me. They both have eight twos on a nine point scale for me. So it really is just a what proto what defense do you run? If you run a three four. Your number one guy is going to be Aziz Ojolari. If you run a four three, give me Greg Russo. So these, I just, I saw that Ryan put Greg Russo down, so I was going to talk about Aziz Ojolari. These two guys are are the top of the class for me. Greg Russo, I'm not a hundred percent sold on his athleticism. I'm not from a from a uh, foot, you know, foot quickness. I don't think he he threatens the outside with his athleticism i think he's length and that's fine he's length i mean his length is elite um that's why that's why i brought up the point about him gaining weight and moving inside i think he could be a menace inside if he if he had enough weight on him to where he could consistently play inside the tackle but so for me aziz ojalari i think you get a compact frame super compact frame six two i believe he is 240 ish a little bit lighter guy but he packs a punch. You know, Deontay Brown, the big 400-pounder practically from Alabama, will come on a pull and hit him full force with, with some momentum running to him, and he won't move an inch in the run game. He'll hold his ground. I mean, Aziz Ojolari is a strong lower half player for having a smaller frame. And pair that with, you know, superb athleticism, the ability to bend the edge uh, as consistently as he does. He has good counters with his hands, high effort player at the same time. Aziz Ojolari really is the full package. If you run a 3-4 system, Aziz Ojolari really is the full package as a as an outside linebacker that can also drop back into coverage, which he, he did quite a bit at Georgia. I almost wished he rushed the passer more at Georgia because he was so dominant in that uh, in that role for, for that defense. So for me, these two guys are the top two. I think a lot of people have started to – sleep on Greg Rousseau. I think he's been one of those players that doesn't get the 2020 tape and uh, people fall. I mean, he's falling like almost out of the first round for some people. Not for NFL teams, he's not. Well, I, you know what? I agree with you, but some of these these media, you know, you, you read these mock drives, you kind of skim through them and you're seeing him get later and later and I don't understand it because though I wasn't as high on his 2019 tape, I think he's a great player. I think he has the tools to be an elite, a transcendent player at a position that is one of the most highly coveted in the sport of football. And with that, I'm spending a top 15 pick on him every day of the week. I'm spending a top 15 pick on Greg Rousseau any day of the week. So those Minnesotas that are in need for some pass rush help, Greg Rousseau should be the pick. 
Um, but so these two guys are the top two. Like I said, I don't. I, I think there's a little bit of a drop off after these two. Personally, it just depends on what scheme you run, whether that's a four three or a three four. And a, a quick note on Azizo Jalari. I I really do like that Alex talked about the powerful profile a little bit. I I posted a clip before the before the season started where he was taking on uh, Trey Smith on like an outside zone look, and he stalled. And if you've seen Trey Smith play, I mean, that dude is 6'6", 330 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like Deontay Brown. I mean, much different body type, but similar power profile to Deontay Brown. Like, they, they're people movers. And so they can stall guys at the line of scrimmage. And I just want to throw out a quick comp that I put out there on Twitter. I don't know if you ever saw this one, Alex. Aziz Ojolari comped him, even though this guy plays has played mostly in a 4-3 in his career. Yannick Ngakwe. That's my comp. I've so, seen that so one. So two Jacksonville guys right there, or, you know, former Jacksonville guys. With Greg yeah, get them on the same team. Yeah, get them on the same. Bring them. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great pairing. I like I like that comp, Ryan. And, and before we get to this ad break, Alex, I would honestly credit Rousseau sliding to the thing that we tend to see, and it's way worse than it is typically because guys opted out, is recency bias. And we're also without a combine. So it is officially outrageous hot take season. And I'm not saying moving Gregory Rousseau is some outrageous hot take but as we're hearing from Matt Miller on get up that he's unsure of Trevor Lawrence there's going to be crazy stuff floated out there but uh, at the same time again this isn't that crazy but things like that I feel like are going to continue to pop up and we're going to get to a point where a few weeks before the draft there's going to be absolute nonsense that is being if we're already at the point where we're questioning Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson over him we're definitely going to get slapped in the face with some wild stuff uh in the month of April. So we're going to get to sleepers and some overhyped guys. Before we get to that, though, folks, I just want to talk to you about eBay. Whether it is rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe that you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair that you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today ebay the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection as we do with any position group in any draft class let's hear some sleepers let's hear some guys that aren't being talked about at all and of course ryan pulls a random three d2 prospect let's hear it chris garrett concordia which is in st paul minnesota for people that aren't too aware of it, a good friend of the show, Chris Garrett. He was also yes. on, on the Believe in NFL Draft Prospect podcast. So this guy is your true three, four outside linebacker, six foot two, two hundred fifty pounds or so. Did not play a season, which is going to be troubling, I think, to his draft stock a little bit, especially without a combine. Um, so his story is three year starter at Concordia, thirty six and a half sacks over a three year career. 48 tackles for loss, and 15 forced fumbles. He set the Division II forced fumble record in three seasons, just to put that into perspective. He is a guy that has a lot of juice. He works very hard. 
He does not have any power profile at all, which is going to be troubling to some teams. But, hey, man, this guy has a little – he can threaten the outside track a little bit, and he's got some a, a ton of production. He is a, he just got a guy that has a knack for being around the ball, and he plays like an energizer bunny. He just has that, that incredible motor that you're going to work with. I think that he's more than likely a PFA, priority free agent. Could sneak into the seventh if he tests well because his production is off the charts and he has been on the all-star circuit, so it's not like he's been completely out of sight, out of mind. So I think that Chris Garrett has some developmental potential there. I think that he brings some juice, some some hardworking mentality to the game and just want to give him some love because he's a good football player who unfortunately did not have a season. But I think Chris Garrett is a so – he could be a guy that is drafted in the seventh round that people are like, who the heck is Chris Garrett from Concordia? <laughs> like, where is Concordia? Well, it's in Minnesota. He's actually out working out in with the same trainers that that um, that that uh, that train J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt, all those former Wisconsin guys as mm-hmm. well. So big shout-out to Chris Garrett. Better football player than you're aware of. If you haven't looked him up, I would go check him out. Again, broke the fr- – uh, they forced fumble record in only three years in the Division Two level, which Jeez. is absolutely outstanding. Fifteen in three seasons. I know. I know the exact gym that you're talking about. By the way, I know some people that have trained there, and that is. I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but I know that they produce some really, really talented athletes. Uh, yeah. Especially for the combine, but no combine this year. He'll probably he, test well. And he also had. Um, I, I think he measured in. I forget what All Star game he was at. It might have been the Hula Bowl, but he measured in. He had like 33 inch arms too, which is pretty good. It's not bad. So yeah. he's kind of hitting. He's hitting some of those me, those thresholds. And we always talk about if you're a small school kid, whether it is the FCS, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, whatever it is, you need to dominate your level to transcend to the next level. And 36 and a half sacks over three years, 15 forced fumbles. You have 33 inch arms. Those are how you kind of check those boxes that you can play at the next level. And the other thing, too, before actually seeing his size profile, I always assumed, and I think this is an assumption that people often get caught up in without seeing how big they are, uh, certain prospects are, is that I thought he was going to be small. I thought he was going to be like 6'1 and stubby arms because he was playing at a smaller level. But it makes sense why he was dominating, is that he grew into his body, started kicking the crap out of everybody, and... He couldn't. Nobody could, could compete with him at his level. So I think Garrett is definitely a great name. Keep seeing him popping up. Alex, who do you who do you have? Who is your sleeper? Yeah, some the the guy for me is someone I'd actually never heard of before diving into his film, and that is Northwestern's Ernest Brown the Fourth. Uh, someone that has dealt with some injuries, but a four star prospect coming into college. Northwestern's biggest recruit uh, from a from a grade perspective coming in, and. He, He's just been a lot more productive than I would have thought. Uh, or uh, excuse me, his film is a lot better than his production would say. That's what I meant to say. Uh, you know, Ernest Brown has been a consistent player when on the field for Northwestern, and I think he. My my first time watching tape on him, I went and watched the Auburn game, uh, the bowl game this past year, this twenty twenty uh, season, and that was fun tape. I think he was constantly in the backfield. He's long, six foot five, six foot four, six foot five, two hundred eighty pounds. He's played inside and outside. I think he's a versatile weapon uh, with his length, his size, and and his ability to disrupt the backfield against SEC competition is the the one game that I've seen thus far. And Ernest Brown the fourth is someone that I did not know coming in that I think will be uh, will outperform his draft position as he is someone that I have yet to hear of talked about uh, on draft Twitter uh, overall. And let's uh, let's wrap up here and, and hit home with our final. Topic superlative 
overhyped players where we get to have some fun. I wouldn't say clowning, but calling out people that might be a little bit too high on some guys that you guys just don't see it for. So, Ryan, who is your guy? Why are you uh, not high on this guy, and why do you think he's being hyped up? Joe's clowning people. He's adding things just so we can clown on um, Janarius Robinson from Florida <laughs> State. Um, so let, let's let's preface it here, okay? Janarius Robinson was a big recruit. And he went to the Senior Bowl. Yes. And he measured in at 6'5", 260-plus pounds, 35-plus-inch arms. And there seemed to be like this little this little moment on Twitter over a few, few days where people were posting clips of him. Like, wow, what a good player. He's so good. Fellas, I understand that we get excited about size measurables and thresholds and all this type of stuff. And I do, too. I absolutely do. When I saw 35-plus-inch arms, I'm like, that's awesome, man. That's cool. But he's not good. (laughs) I mean, to be as frank as I can, he is extremely tight. There's no flexibility. He's a pure speed-to-power converter who hasn't produced in any fashion. I don't understand this one. I really don't because I think that the ceiling here is as a – one to two down edge setter who you're going to take out on third downs because I don't think he gives you anything in the pass game. So I, when I see people now talking about him somewhere late day two or early day three, I don't get that at all. Like if you want to slap on a seventh round grade or a draftable grade on him, I'd be okay. But I have seen some publications and more than more than a couple that are now talking about Janarius Robinson in that late, Day two, early day three, even in the mid-day three uh, conversation where I'm like, I understand he has some size thresholds and I understand that he has some things. But the difference here is you talk about developmental potential. I don't think he's very athletic. I don't think he's very flexible. So he has size, which tells me like, hey, could I could you sell him to me of gaining 20 to 30 pounds of playing being a 3-4 defensive ends? Like, can he be that? Can he be a 5-tech? Can he be a 4-I? Maybe, but for me, when we're talking about like, oh, wow, like here's a perfect example. And I I don't want to get too long-winded with this, but like Gregory Rousseau, right, has a similar frame and you get excited about him because he also has these athletic, uh, these athletic traits to add to those sizes. And you're like, wow, if you can combine all this stuff together and you can get this great football player. For me, Janarius Robinson is just a big, long guy with no athleticism to him at all. So I, I, I don't understand the hype. I don't get it. Both the Florida State guys this year, I don't understand what people have been trying to hype up for the last couple of years now. But Janarius Robinson one for me that I just watched, and I'm just like, he is a one-dimensional football player with not much developmental potential. Like, he can get bigger, but he's not going to get more athletic. You can't speed this guy up. You can slow guys down. You can't speed them up. So I don't understand Janarius Robinson at all. Well, a lot of the Florida State guys, they have a scapegoat, and that's bad coaching. And I think that's what a lot of people are hanging their hat on. They're like, well, you know, you see this guy. He has, you know, these freakishly long arms. He has all the tools to be great. But Florida State, you know, bad program, bad coaching. So once he gets to the NFL and gets good coaching, like, then we'll unlock his potential. So that's what a lot of people, I think, are hanging their hat on with some of these Florida State defenders. But good football players are good football players. Asante Samuel Jr. had the same coaching. Good football player. You know, so if if you're a good football player, you're going to play well on the field. I don't think coaching uh, really changes that very much. For me, I'm going to go with someone that I've seen mocked in the first round too, too much. Uh, For me, he's a day three player. 
I'm just going to go out and say it. He's a fourth-round grade, uh, and I've seen him mocked in the first round, so this might be a hot take. But Joe Tryon from Washington is not that good of a football player. Let's just <laughs> let's just keep it how it is. He's undersized for the position. Yeah, he's a 3-4 outside linebacker. That's what he projects to be. Uh, but as a primary pass rusher, I don't think he's really good at anything. I think he's just there. Uh, myself, he's a slim defender in the run game. He doesn't know how to set the edge. Don't expect that out of a out of a smaller guy uh, too often. He doesn't set the edge at all. Uh, and when it comes to his pass rush plan, he doesn't really have a plan. He just like he doesn't look in the backfield to see where the ball's at. Oftentimes, I saw him beat think he beat his guy, but the ball's you know somewhere else, and he. I, you know, this guy, there's a, there's a lack of awareness because when he drops back into coverage, which he did very seldom at Washington because they played him in a role that, that rushed the passer primarily since that's what he was best at, he just kind of dropped to a spot. He's a spot dropper, and he would look around looking for somebody, and people would fly past him in his zone, and he wouldn't know where to go. So he doesn't really project well in zone coverage. At least he hasn't shown it to this point for me. And as a smaller frame, guys, this 3-4 outside linebacker that's supposed to be this great pass rusher, you want to see someone that can threaten the outside. And he is very stiff. I don't think he's a, a bendy player at all. I think he wins by just stretching out his arms really wide and just kind of moving side to side until he finds a hole. And for <laughs> me, I don't understand how that's a first-round player. I just think he's a very guy i think he's going to be a rotational guy guy. he's a very guy that's the best way to describe him. he's a very average joe uh for this draft class i think i think there's something to hang your hat on and that is you know he he has a nice frame and you know there is some athleticism to his game don't get me wrong i'm not trying to say he's terrible i mean i have a fourth round grade on him he's he's got some things that you can have in a rotational pass rusher but i don't see someone that should threaten the first round should threaten the top 50 should really threaten the top 75 if i'm being real um, I just don't see where you hang your hat on. He's not good in coverage. He drops. He he literally backpedals and waits to see where people are at, and there's no one there because they keep running right by him. He doesn't know how to to, to work in zone coverage, which is what he's gonna have to do some at the next level playing in a three four. And when he rushes the passer, I don't think he has the the arsenal that you want out of an undersized pass rusher. He doesn't have the the bend, the flexibility. And I don't think he has really that great uh, hand technique either. So I just think he's just a guy. And I, I'm just tired of seeing him in the first round for that reason. That That's Ryan, my yeah, that's my take. Ryan, well, you're smiling. Gonna, I was, well, no, I was going to say, like, I, I'm a little higher on Joe Tryon. I think what me and I was talking about, I think I have, like, an early third on him. Like, I, I get it. I get the, the what people see in him. I, I definitely am nowhere near that first round conversation. I will say, just for Joe Tryon's sake, of any pass rusher I've seen work against Penny Soul, he did do the best job. He didn't always finish his reps, but you saw the power through the hips and the ability to convert speed to power and to get a guy like I mean, he was long armed Penny Soul once or twice, which were nice reps. He, ne- he he's not a finisher though right now. So he's Janarius Robinson. That's what you're telling me. Has long arms. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> he has long <laughs> arms. That's all it is. That's all it is. He's so, not an athlete. I, I, I think he's. I, I okay. think linearly he's pretty. Decent. Linearly, but good linear but good athlete. good thing good thing he rushes the pass where you have to bend. You have to make some kind of bend. Yeah, he can move straight forward. Good luck. You're not gonna get. I mean, unless the quarterback's hey, hey, Cam, scrambling out. 
Cam Jordan's not a not a bendy guy, but he's made a pretty good. But he's powerful. Sure. Yeah, he's powerful. But Joe Tryon's got some power through Whatever. his hands. Whatever. Joe Tryon's like two hundred and twenty-five <laughs> pounds soaking wet on film. All right, all right. Let's not get too carried away here. That's uh, I think a good note to end on before we end up in a, a forty-five minute back and forth debate on Joe Tryon. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. Please hit that subscribe button if you like listening. Leave us a five-star review. We would really appreciate it. Uh, additionally. Head to Believe.com to find our show as well as hundreds of other shows. Follow us on social media at NFL Prospects Pod, at uh, Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, at Alex Gilstrap, and at Believe, B-L-E-A-V, podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll talk to you next week, and stay tuned for a big, big another interview coming up on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.